Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, where they now have access to over 100 episodes of bonus content. So this week we had Cassandra, Melody, Felicia, The Brain Candy Podcast, Casey, Brienne, Nana, Bonnie, Casey, Callista, Amber... Robin, Nicole, Armida, Maria, Catherine, Liz, Ursula, Lourdes, Bobby, Carolyn, Gwen, Mildy, Emily, Paula, Brooke, Colleen, Sydney, Godney, Ted, Mia, Lachea, Teresa, and Lisa. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi, this week... We have a movie versus reality case, but what's different about this movie versus reality is that the crime occurred after the movie came out. Now, how is that possible? Well, this crime was dubbed literally everywhere in the press as the fatal attraction killer. Ooh. Now, as some of you may know, Fatal Attraction, the 1987 movie starring Glenn Close and Michael Douglas, is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've seen it like a hundred times. Wow. But you know my favorite genre of movie, which is Michael Douglas fucks with the wrong woman. There's a lot. There's Disclosure. There's Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. There's um, Fatal Attraction. There's the one with Gwyneth Paltrow from the late 90s, A oh, Perfect yeah. Murder. I saw that. He keeps fucking with the wrong woman. Right. I mean, I love Fatal Attraction. It's great. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, stop this podcast. I think it's on Netflix. Oh, is it? I should rewatch it. I don't know, but you should watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a great movie. Now, I had many sources for this episode, a lot of old newspaper articles, but one really great article that I read was from New York Magazine. It's an article by Eric Pooley called Love and Death, and it came out in 1990. Another thing was there was like a pretty, there was an investigation discovery documentary from their series Love Scorned. And I mean, it's an only an hour long documentary, so they don't give like all the juicy details. Like the details are juicy of the case as it is, but I had to do a little more digging to find out some of the really great information. But if you want to see some top notch reenactments, go watch the investigation <laughs> discovery. The episode is called Teacher Teacher. So you know it's going to be good. <laughs> Wait, is this on Hulu too? Yes. Okay, I need to I need to like watch this on Hulu. I feel like I'm so behind. Desi, there are so... I like so... the names of their series. <laughs> yeah, this one's called Love Scorn. What was the other one? Killer Brothers that you were Killer talking about? Killer Siblings. <laughs> okay. Investigation Discovery, one of my favorite networks. Okay. Carolyn Warmus was born January 8th, 1964 in Troy, Michigan to a wealthy family. She was the oldest of three siblings. 
Her father, Thomas, ran a successful insurance company, which at one point was worth $150 million. Oh, damn. Carolyn was said to have been competitive with her younger sister, Tracy, who was thought to have been the prettier of the two. Oh, boy. (laughs) Carolyn and Tracy fought for their father's attention. When Carolyn was six, her parents divorced and her father got remarried to his secretary, a woman named Nancy, who he lavished with expensive gifts. The third sister. (laughs) (laughs) So a quote from People magazine talked to a family friend of the Warmuses, and she said, quote, a lot of people made fun of Nancy. She'd dress Hollywood style with floor-length mink coats and her bosom sticking out of strapless sequin dresses. Ooh. <laughs> I love her. I love Nancy, too. Wait, where are they at? They're at this point in uh, Michigan. Ooh, I mean, that's like a hot way to dress if you live in Michigan. <laughs> right, especially since it's so cold there. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't give a fuck. She's tits out. Tits out, but I have a fur coat on. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me. It does, because you don't want to get too hot under that fur. <laughs> That's like when Lil' Kim wears a fur bikini. That's dressing to me. Yes. That's style. Okay. The warmest children lived with their mother for a while until she got remarried and just moved. In 1979, they lived with their father again with his wife, Nancy, in their large six-bedroom home. By high school, Carolyn and her sister, Tracy, continued to be rivals. The sisters would throw big parties in their father's home. Carolyn did well in school and was, you know, liked hanging out with people as well. She really, like, wanted to be popular. That was, like, a great importance to her, I would say, even more than her grades. She really used her wealth as a way to get friends Mm -hmm. and dates with people, which is, I assume, why they would have these big parties at their house. Right. Love me. In the early 80s, when Carolyn was in college at University of Michigan, she met a man named Paul Lavin. The two began dating, and Carolyn was completely and utterly infatuated with him. She was definitely more into him than he was into her. But after less than a year of dating, Paul left Carolyn for another woman who he then got engaged to. But that didn't stop Carolyn from pursuing Paul. She continued to call him even after him and his fiance Wendy moved out of town. She even broke into their home and the police were called. But that didn't deter her. A month later, she left a note on Paul's car saying that she was pregnant and that he needed to call her. Oh. And I saw a copy of this note and it was like frantic handwriting and she was like, Paul, I'm two and a half months pregnant. Was that even in the realm of possibility? No. Okay. I mean... It, I don't know. Yeah. But she wasn't actually pregnant. Right. But it, he in his mind, was it even possible? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure about the yeah. timeline. I think she could have possibly been doing that to freak out his fiance. Right. Right. You know, I think that's more. Definitely. That was more her Because you would think he'd be able to like, uh, we haven't fucked in three months or whatever. Right. Like, but I mean, sometimes guys are easy to trick. <laughs> <laughs> so... She leaves this note on his car, and then she not only did that, but she sent his fiance Wendy, a nasty letter. Ooh. And the letter read, and it was, a lot of things were misspelled, so it said, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. With the tan I have now, you've got even more to compete with. Wow. She had just come back on vacation from Florida. Wow. And so she's rocking a sick tan. I can't even imagine bragging about that. It's like not even my realm of possibilities for me. 
of course, with a body like mine, I'm sure you realize what tough competition you were up against. You're just about out of the running completely now. She's like every arrogant person on Twitter who's always bragging about how hot they are, but they're desperately insecure. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. No one in mind in particular. (laughs) Paul and his fiance, they had to get a restraining order against Carolyn. Wow. Especially since they were so worried that she would come to their wedding. I I would be worried too. <laughs> I mean, hey, <laughs> you know what looks good with my tan? A white dress. <laughs> she would show up in a white dress. She would show up in a white t- dress with a tan. And she'd object to yeah. the wedding. She'd be the one in the audience. <laughs> with like a huge brimmed hat. <laughs> yeah. And like lifting her head up so we wouldn't even know it was her until she lifted her hat It'd up. It'd be a big reveal. Yeah, like Alexis Carrington. Yes, Dynasty. <laughs> that's exactly what I pictured. According to Carolyn, the reason that Paul wasn't with her was because Paul was Jewish and Carolyn was a Catholic. So she converted to Judaism (laughs) to get Paul to notice her. (laughs) Just reminding you, this guy's about to get married. And is Wendy Jewish? Yes. Okay. But in Carolyn's head, she's like, I bet if I converted to Judaism, he would take me back. What an insane bitch. Now... (laughs) That's so insane. Do you know how hard it is to convert to Judaism? Uh, yeah, I actually that is, do. Like, that is like a big process. Yeah, it's really long. Didn't and your you mom ha- convert? Yes, yeah, so I remember, because I used to help her learn Hebrew. <laughs> like, do- you have to learn basic, like, le- like I was like, practice the letters with her. It is a lot of work. Right. It's not just like filling out paper. It's like weeks. I didn't even have a bat mitzvah just because I was too lazy to learn Hebrew. Right. It's hard. And I could have had a great party. (laughs) Didn't happen. So the rabbi that Carolyn was like converting under, he said that she was nice, but he did think it was odd that she didn't bring her husband along that she said she was converting for. Oh. She would just always be there alone at the temple. Yeah. And he'd be like, okay, like, can I meet your husband? Like, he didn't even come for her mikvah. So he was like, okay, like... She could have just said she was converting. Right. She didn't have to lie about the husband and make it more suspicious. In her head, she has this fantasy that he is her husband. Wow. Just wait, Desi. (laughs) After Carolyn graduated from college, she spent the summer working as a waitress at a nightclub where she was investigated by the Secret Service for credit card fraud. Secret Service? That's what it said (laughs) in the New York Magazine article, that the Secret Service got involved. Really? Now, okay. she she was never prosecuted, but she was fired. Yeah. I mean, and that's an odd move on her part because she was a millionaire. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of, why she w- was trying to skim money or scam money from people. Yeah, that's wild. It's like rich people shoplifting or something. Right. Yeah. There might have been some kind of thrill in it for her. Now, according to the nightclub's doorman, Carolyn dated a regular at the club who she basically stalked while they were dating. This guy... What? Yeah. <laughs> This guy, whose name was Brian Fetter, said Carolyn relentlessly called him and would fill up his answering machine with messages. <laughs> Do you remember back in the day when you had to listen through? Yes. Each one? Such torture. <laughs> Even when I get a message today, I don't play it. I like read the transcript. Me too. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what I would do without that transcript. And sometimes you're just like, what is that word? <laughs> Well, you see if it's important first or not. Yeah. Or who it is. Exactly. I don't need to hear it. (laughs) It's too much energy. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So she was filling up his answering machine. He eventually had to change his number. So Carolyn moved to New York where she planned on getting her teaching credentials at Columbia. In 1987, Carolyn went to the Vincent Parco and Associates private detective agency to hire someone to surveil a married man that she was dating in Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) So Carolyn at this point has moved on. So she's moved on from, what's his name? Brian Fetter. Oh, Brian Fetter. And And Paul. And Paul. Now she's on to this guy. I didn't get his name, but he was a bartender in Jersey and she's obsessed with him. Does she have, has she ever had a normal relationship (laughs) How is this possible? (laughs) No. Now, this is a great description of the kind of guy this private investigator, Vincent Parco, is. This is the guy who runs the the firm or the company. Uh, For his, it says, and this is from the Chicago Tribune. For his part, Parco, who looks like a cross between actors Danny DeVito and Bob Hoskins, (laughs) 
once taught a course entitled, quote, How to Get Anything on Anyone. So I just need to give you a picture of who this guy is. I like a cross between Danny Aiello and Danny DeVito. Oh, Danny Danny DeVito. DeVito. (laughs) I thought you said Danny Aiello. Because I was like, they kind of look similar. What's the cross? Danny DeVito and Bob Hoskins. Okay. Oh, okay. So is he short? (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's uh, another private investigator named James A. Russo who worked at the company. He was assigned to Carolyn's case. She even went along with him while they were out investigating this bartender. She wanted the private investigator to take compromising pictures of him so she could send them to his wife. But they were unsuccessful in obtaining any scandalous photos of him. Like they trailed him to hotels. They trailed him. So they're trying to find him cheating on with another woman to send to his wife? Yes. Couldn't she have just done it herself? (laughs) (laughs) Well, was he not seeing her anymore? Or I don't know. She said she was dating him. Right. So, so who I, knows? Who knows if they were even dating? So the easiest thing would be, I'll be at this hotel with Brian, take pictures this of us here. This isn't even Brian. This is the bartender. Oh, wait. So Brian. Oh, Brian's the other guy. So yeah. the bartender, what's his name? I don't know his name. Okay. The we, bartender. <laughs> the bartender from Jersey. That's okay. what they called okay. him. Okay. Yeah. Like she could have set that up so easy. Come take pictures of me with the bartender. Right. Which leads me to believe that they weren't even dating. Yeah. She was just obsessed with him and he was Ugh, married. Carolyn. He was married. Yeah. Now she came up with another idea. Since she couldn't get pic- incriminating pictures of him, she would stage the, <laughs> the pictures. <laughs> That was my idea. (laughs) (laughs) Carolyn suggested making up fake photos. She set up a photo shoot with the private detective James at her apartment where she posed in sexy lingerie. Oh, God. I would love to see these pictures. Me too. (laughs) She wanted to superimpose this bartender's picture over these pictures of her. She's an early Photoshop (laughs) proponent. (laughs) Look at her. And during the shoot, she asked James if she turned him on. He said no, and that infuriated her. And he's probably just being professional. (laughs) (laughs) So she says, maybe this will help, and she kicked him in the nuts. Whoa. (laughs) That's a good move. (laughs) I'm going to remember that one. Although no one would ever say no to me. So I would just have to do it for them saying yes. <laughs> Even better. They would, they would love it. Oh, do I turn you on? Yes. Ugh. Love it. Carolyn. She's insane. Now, by the fall of 1987, Carolyn was working as a teacher at Greenville Elementary School in Greenberg, New York. I'm just happy she's molding young minds. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where Greenberg is? Greenberg. It's like by Scarsdale. Okay, so it's like sort of Westchester. It's in Westchester yeah. County. It's like a wealthy enclave. Yeah. It's like all those, those little areas. I don't know that area that well, no. I just read about it on Wikipedia. I could, t- I could tell when you said it. I was like, it must, whenever I don't know something, I'm always like, it's in Westchester, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is in Westchester. It was there that she met a fifth-grade teacher named Paul Solomon. Paul was older than Carolyn, and he had a wife named Betty Jean and a daughter named Kristen. Betty Jean and Paul met in college in 1967 after her first love, Earl, tragically died in a car accident. 
Betty Jean was described by classmates as being a caring woman who was also very pretty. Paul was the possessive type. He ordered Betty Jean to stop dressing cute and wearing makeup, and he apparently told her to stop going by her nickname, BJ. <laughs> Imagine that conversation. It's like, what? You know that thing you won't do for me? (laughs) What the hell? I fucking hate Paul already. Good. Okay, good. (laughs) They got married in 1970, and their daughter, Kristen, was born in 1973. Paul became a teacher at Greenville Elementary a couple years later. Now, this area of Westchester County they lived in was wealthy and upscale, like I said before, and the couple at this time was really struggling with money. It was just Paul on his teacher's salary. So Betty Jean decided to get a job to bring in extra income for the family. She got a job at a bank and worked her way up from a teller to a branch manager and eventually took on a higher-paying position at a collection agency. The couple was finally feeling financially stable, but they were still nowhere near the level of wealth that they were surrounded by in Greenberg. But they were doing fine Uh at this point. And though Betty Jean pulled her own weight financially in the household, Paul always saw himself as the authority figure and the decision maker. Yeah, he was very controlling in their relationship and, and kind of like resentful of her having a job and her now having her own life. And probably like, why aren't you doing more housework? Exactly. Yeah. Like they weren't, he was deaf. Absolutely. Was he not sharing the load of the housework? According to Betty Jean's mother, Betty Jean had confided in her that she had been thinking of leaving Paul. Paul Solomon and Carolyn Warmus began having an affair after they met at the high, um, at the elementary school. Paul had been known to hook up with other teachers at the school before, but for Carolyn, this was so much more than just sex. (laughs) She, of course, became infatuated with him. She sought to insert herself into his life as much as possible, regardless of the fact that he was married and had a kid. Now, like I said, Paul was resentful of Betty Jean for having her own life outside of him, and he wanted to make her jealous. So he decided to invite Carolyn over for dinner to kind of be like, this is my coworker. Isn't she hot? Was she tan? (laughs) (laughs) Does she have a nice tan again? She just got back from Acapulco. Look, I mean, I've seen pictures of her later in life. Is she really hot when she's younger? I feel like she's like... I mean, she like seemed pretty average or like whatever, not ugly, but I like... I feel like she's like late 80s killer hot. She's not actually hot. Yeah. I mean, that was my impression. It wasn't she's like, not hot either. I know. It just, she doesn't seem like the type of woman I would make someone jealous with. Well, what's wild is that... I mean, of course, the TV version is always going to be like way sexier people. But the investigation discovery, it looks like like the reenactments they do. It's straight up like they're so hot. They look like softcore porn actors. Right. And like this Love Scorned is definitely the show they probably play like after dark on their show because it's like a little sexy. It's smoky. Like the reenactments are very sexy. and They're like, like Red Shoe Diaries. Yes. <laughs> and like there's a lot of like chests. And like sacks. Yeah. <laughs> and like someone was wearing like, uh, you know, like thigh high stockings in it. Ooh. It was very sexual. 
definitely probably not how their sex actually looked. Carolyn wanted to ingratiate herself with Paul's teenage daughter, Kristen. She was introduced to Carolyn as a fellow teacher and friend at her dad's school. Carolyn bought Kristen expensive gifts, and during Christmas time in 1987, Carolyn and Paul took Kristen and her friend to the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City. Ooh. For Christmas, Paul gifted Carolyn a stuffed animal that she named Fluffy, and Carolyn gifted Paul an expensive vibrator. The gift of the Magi. (laughs) (laughs) But he said this gift was too expensive and to exchange it, so she got him some golf balls instead. The vibrator was too expensive? Yeah, he probably just didn't want... He he was like, I don't want to use a vibrator. What a weird gift to get. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? I mean, because you'd think if you bought it for him, he definitely would want it. Like you'd know he'd want that vibrator. I don't know. She just wanted, she didn't want a sex toy. Right. I just feel like it's not a type of gift you buy someone unless you know they they want that vibrator. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it's a weird gift choice just to be like, hey, I thought of you when I saw this. And then that she got him something so on the opposite side of the spectrum, golf balls. I mean, they don't have to be on the opposite (laughs) side of the spectrum. I was thinking, I had that thought too. I had that thought too. I said, maybe this could be some kind of an anal situation with the golf balls. Yeah. I don't know. He shot them out of his ass for her. He bought her... I don't know which is more disturbing that he bought a grown woman a teddy bear. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> this whole thing is demented. <laughs> Carolyn then invited Paul's daughter, Kristen, to go on a ski trip with her, and Betty Jean reluctantly agreed. Ugh. That just sounds like a recipe for disaster. I'm surprised. I she just didn't- don't like that she's trying to get in with a daughter when they're still married. That's well, so creepy. Doesn't it remind you of Fatal Attraction when Alex. Yeah. Goes after the daughter. Yeah. It's so And takes her to the amusement park. Yeah. It's fucked (laughs) up. So scary. So on the car ride to the mountain where they were going to go skiing, Carolyn pried at Kristen to get information about the mom and about Paul. She asked Kristen if her parents fought about her, and she asked if her mom liked her, and Kristen was kind of just like weirded out by this, these questions. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, my mom likes you, even though she was pretty sure her mom didn't like her. Right. Carolyn went on and on about what a wonderful man Paul was. Of course, Paul had told Carolyn that he loved her and that he would definitely leave his wife for her, which obviously, as we've seen in a lot of these cases, never fucking happens. But Carolyn had hearts in her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) She believed it was going to happen. And he failed making his wife jealous of Carolyn. Yeah. Well, she already kind of wanted out. Well, in fact, she herself had been having an affair. She had been having an affair for nine years with her (gasps) boss at the bank. Yeah. (laughs) Go, BJ. (laughs) By the spring of 1988, Paul attempted to break things off with Carolyn. He wanted to make things work with his wife. After he discovered that she had been having an affair, he wants her. Fucking typical. So Carolyn went back to the private detective agency with two totally bogus stories about a woman she believed was after her and her family. The woman she named was Betty Jean, and she said that Betty Jean allegedly attempted to murder her father by exploding one of her jets, and had also attempted to run her sister off the road in her car. Paul and Carolyn got back together by the time the new school year rolled around. 
According to her friend from college, a man named Ryan Attenson, quote, she had said that she would take it upon herself to make sure she ended up with this gentleman. She would then end up with the family that she wanted and live happily ever after. (laughs) Meanwhile, Carolyn was spending a lot of time with Vincent Parco, the head of the private investigation agency. He's the Danny DeVito guy. He described their relationship as, quote, social bordering on dating. Interesting. Does that mean, like, some fucking? Handjob? Here and there? <laughs> a sad handjob? A sad handjob. Every hand once job. in a while in the movie theater? Carolyn told the PI that she was afraid for her life and needed a gun for protection. And in January of 1989, Vincent Parco sold Carolyn a Beretta pistol and silencer. Around this same time, Paul forgot Carolyn's birthday, and she was very upset. Oh, my God. This is a nightmare. Yeah. A week later, she stewed on this for a week. I she bet. She stewed. She's so, like, where's my teddy bear? <laughs> so a week later, she called Paul, and she's like, well, why don't you take me out to dinner for my birthday, and we'll fuck. And Ooh. On, yes. And on January 15th, 1989... Paul told Betty Jean that he was going to meet up with some friends at the bowling alley. Instead, he was actually going to meet up with Carolyn. Now, their daughter, Kristen, was not home at this time. She was away on a ski trip. Paul did stop off at the bowling alley that night. He said hi to his friends, but then he went to go meet up with Carolyn. At 7.25 p.m., Paul arrived at the hotel restaurant of a Yonkers Holiday Inn. (laughs) (laughs) That's... Yonkers. Oh, the Yonkers Holiday Inn? That's nice. Ooh. Sorry. So I tried desperately. I know the name of the restaurant. I tried desperately to find an old menu. Oh, okay. I went to the Yelp page. It said permanently closed. (laughs) Very disappointed. So he arrives at this restaurant at 7.25 p.m., and Carolyn arrived at 7.45. After dinner, she gave him a blowjob in the car in the parking lot. (laughs) Classy. (laughs) (laughs) Who is this woman? She's 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 like the opposite of diamond level pussy, whatever that is. She's like... Because she's sloppy. Everything about her is so desperate, it can't be hot. No, because she's not making men kill for her. She is just so sad and pathetic with these guys. Yeah. No, none of these guys truly want her. Even the uh, detective was like, we're social. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even even want to admit to it. He didn't want to admit to it. Yeah. We're (laughs) sort of dating. And the guy who was taking her pictures, and she's like, you want some of this? And he's like, no. Do you know how gross you have to be for a guy not to even be like, yeah, you look good. (laughs) Like, that he would just say no. (laughs) So when Paul returned home at 11.40 p.m., the TV was on. And then he found Betty Jean sprawled on the living room floor, covered in blood. (gasps) She had been shot nine times. She was shot in her head, in her chest, and in her limbs. Her heart, her liver, and her lungs had all been struck with bullets. Shit. Betty Jean had also been struck across the face with some kind of object. There were shell casings scattered around her body, and the phone was off the hook and lying next to her. 
Paul called the police and they arrived on the scene shortly after. Police determined that there was no sign of forced entry or of a burglary. Paul became a person of interest in the murder in this in this case, like pretty, like pretty quickly after, right. uh, it's always like got to look at the husband. During his initial questioning, he told police that he was at the bowling alley the whole night with friends. But then he ended up confessing that he was actually out to dinner with Carolyn Warmus. It was discovered that earlier in the night, a phone call had been made to the police by a frantic woman crying for help at seven fifteen p.m. Now, that's a half hour before Paul and Carolyn sat down to dinner together. The call was cut short before any information could be given out. But the dispatcher believed that the woman either said, he's trying to kill me or she's trying to kill me. Oh, shit. She couldn't differentiate. The call was registered to the Solomons. Police rushed to the scene, but when they arrived, the home was empty. It turns out that the phone number for the Solomons was somehow attached to a different address. Oh. Like they fucked up on their end. Right. There was some kind of glitch in the system. So police just left and were like, I guess oh, shit. it wasn't a thing. Like yeah. they didn't look further into it. Months went by after the murder and no arrest had been made in the murder of Betty Jean Solomon. By this time, Paul began dating another teacher at his school, a 28-year-old woman named Barbara Baller. But Carolyn was not over Paul. In fact, when Paul and his new girlfriend went on vacation to Puerto Rico that summer, Carolyn followed them. While she... (laughs) (laughs) Look on your face. I just shocked by her. Like, I just can't imagine not giving it up. (laughs) She followed them to Puerto Rico. Oh, my God. While she was down there, Carolyn impersonated a police officer... (laughs) Jesus. And made a phone call to a member of Barbara's family saying that she had incriminating information on Paul. Honestly, I just pictured her as Kathleen Turner in Serial Mom calling yeah. <laughs> that energy. Daddy. <laughs> Pussy Willow Lane. <laughs> of course, the call was traced back to Carolyn. Ugh. And police were like, wait a minute. I like how she takes it too far. Like if she had just done a little bit of things, like <laughs> right, if she you know had done I mean? some of these things, yeah, so like only half psycho. Like calm it down a bit. <laughs> Carolyn had already been questioned by the police about the night of the murder, and she had told them at that time about her affair with Paul. But now police were beginning to look into her as a suspect. They subpoenaed her phone records, and they found several calls made to a private investigator named Vincent Parco. So they got in touch with Vincent Parco. Okay. And he was like, I need immunity. (laughs) (laughs) So they're like, well, we might be able to make a deal. And he... I like how they were like, oh, wait, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like when someone does something you're not expecting, it's like, they're just, we're just asking a question. Now you want immunity? (laughs) He told police that he had sold Carolyn a 25 caliber handgun and silencer. And though they hadn't discovered the murder weapon, the bullets that had killed Betty Jean, like the, all the shell casings, that matched the weapon that Vincent said that he sold right. to Carolyn. It was the same thing. So they have a link now to yeah. this weapon. Carolyn Warmus was finally arrested in February of 1990, but she was released on $250,000 bail because she's a very rich woman. Right. And the trial began January 1991. 
The prosecution leaned heavily on Carolyn's obsession with Paul as evidence that she committed the murder. Like I said before, every newspaper dubbed this the fatal attraction killer, the fatal attraction murder. Right. It was every headline, I'm telling you. Now, her past love affairs and obsessions were also revealed in court. In the defense's opening statement, Carolyn's lawyer asserted that it was Vincent Parco who was responsible for the murder and that Carolyn was being framed. But her lawyer could not come up with any kind of a motive for that. Right. Like, why would this private investigator kill the wife of this guy? He was jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Of the wife. (laughs) Yeah. Carolyn's college friend Ryan Attenson testified that he had last met up with Carolyn a few months after the murder and that she told him that Betty Jean Solomon was no longer an obstacle to her. She had previously told him she would do whatever it took to be with Paul. James Russo, the PI who did the photo shoot with her, he testified. He said that Carolyn had given him several different reasons for why she was afraid of her life. But when he offered her a bodyguard, she said, no, I want a handgun. Carolyn's lawyer attempted to discredit James by accusing him of fucking his clients in exchange for private detective services. But he didn't fuck her. (laughs) That's why she was so mad. She was the one person he didn't fuck. Right. James Russo also admitted that he was set to make money from the various TV movies and like television programs that were being made about this case. Wow. So they were making them fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Vincent Parco testified that Carolyn had propositioned him for sex twice. Vincent, who was married with kids, admitted to being attracted to her, but he said that he declined. He said that after a Christmas party in 1988, she called him and invited him to her apartment. She must have been so wasted. After a Christmas (laughs) party in New York in 1988? Because she lives in Manhattan, Carolyn. She lives on the Upper East Side. And she commutes to the school? Yeah. Oh, shit. Now, she called him and she said to him, this is a quote from Vincent Parco on the stand, quote, she said, I'm in black or sexy lingerie. Why don't you come over? And I It's said, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm tired. Why don't we make it for another night? She said, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Sad booty call. <laughs> During the trial, the tapes of Carolyn's initial police interview, take, which were taken the morning after the murder, were played for the jurors. In the interview, Carolyn said, quote, about Paul, he feels guilty being married and seeing me. And he said, you know that I love my wife. And then Carolyn clarified that Paul said that he wasn't actually in love with his wife, though. Paul Solomon testified about when he broke things off with Carolyn. This is a quote from him. I said, Carolyn, you know we're not going to be able to see each other in the summer. Quote-unquote affair was over. She was upset. She cried. She said, life's not worth living without you. I said, Carolyn, don't be overdramatic. <laughs> now, the trial ended in April 1991 when a mistrial was declared. What? A new trial. I mean, can't you just picture her winking to the jurors and yeah. flashing a little Do something? Do you think I'm sexy? <laughs> <laughs> A new trial began in 1992. Robert Gurdy, a staff writer for the New York Daily News, called it Fatal Attraction, the sequel. Ooh. 
And by this time, the prosecution had a new piece of evidence, a bloody cashmere glove that had been found at the murder scene. Now, this is such a strange piece of evidence because this glove was actually photographed in crime scene photos. Yeah. But it somehow disappeared. This sounds like a bungled police investigation because who happened to be in possession of it but Paul? So it's like he was trying to clean up or something, or he was trying. He saw oh, that's the, weird. I don't. He saw that must have seen the glove. Maybe he thought it was his wife's. He had stored this glove in a box in his closet for like a year. Oh shit! Yeah. So he produces this. Evidence. Is that even evidence anymore? Because it's contaminated now, right? I. I mean, it they, seems it, weird. It became admissible, and I'll tell you why it became admissible. The prosecution was able to pull Carolyn's credit card records and link the glove to her because she had purchased a glove, right. pair of gloves that were like identical to this glove found at the crime scene. But not that I'm defending Carolyn. Wouldn't it be possible that he did have her glove and then put blood on it? It's. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, it's weird. I don't know how that worked out. I mean, I read like I had to reread it like a hundred times. Like, wait, why did he have that piece of evidence? Why? Yeah, and why would it still be admissible? I, I don't know. It's okay. bizarre. It's really weird. So the defense argued that Paul was trying to frame Carolyn for the murder. But in the end, Carolyn was found guilty of second-degree murder and second-degree criminal possession of a firearm. She was sentenced to 25 years to life. And in June 2019, Carolyn Warmus was released on parole. She's out. Yeah. And she still maintains her innocence to this day, and she's actually working to clear her name. She said she wants <laughs> DNA evidence now from from the glove. Okay. Uh, whatever. Uh, and there have been movies and TV shows that have been made about the case. Nothing like in the theaters. There's been like TV movies. Do you know who played her in the TV? Yes. In 1992, A Murderous Affair, The Carolyn Warma Story, starring Virginia Madsen. Oh, Now, in one paper I read, they described Carolyn. They were like, she looks like she could be played by Rosanna Arquette or Molly Ringwald. That was just one. (laughs) It was just so of the time. It was like this paper from 1990. Just like picking the top two actresses or whatever. (laughs) It's funny because I I only remember seeing the pictures because we covered her when she was released, I guess. Yes. Um, and she kind of reminded me of someone who could be played by Amanda Plummer. Totally. <laughs> like that look to me. She, you said, and I thought it was so accurate, you said, this woman has a guilty haircut. It's crazy. I have some incredible photos that I'm going to be posting on our Instagram page. I want to see the pictures. But, you know, uh, yeah, I'll, there, there are some pretty, I mean, she was like dressing up pretty fabulous, in my opinion, in court. Like she was trying to look demure, but you could tell everything she owns was like really expensive. I mean, the thing I keep forgetting is that she's really rich. Yeah. She's really wealthy. That's so wild to me. Yeah. She could have easily had a fuck boy. Yeah. Like, why is she getting obsessed with these married men? I mean, it's like a thing with her. And uh, there was a quote from somebody in some paper that was like, they were like, I I think she's obsessed with Jewish married men. Was Paul Jewish No, too? he wasn't. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Maybe she thought he was. Solomon. <laughs> but he wasn't. It was so bizarre. And like Paul... I mean, it seems like there is something going on here where she wants to be with these unavailable men and then she can be the victim it's a, with Carolyn though. It's a pattern of behavior. Absolutely, she's only going after men who are married. Yeah, and trying to break apart. I marriages. wouldn't doubt that she initiates it too. She's a trip. Yeah, 
Like she really is. And now she's just out clearing her name, basically. Yeah, she And she has, still has tons of money, probably. She has a website, carolynwarmus.org. That <laughs> she couldn't even get the dot com. No, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm sure she still has tons of money. Her father had this like multi million dollar company, insurance company. Now I'm like, I would love to have her on the show. <laughs> Carolyn, come on the show. I'm sorry we come roasted on. you, but I'll Look, hear your side of the story. Yeah. We want to hear your side of the story. I have some questions. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> we're we're not going to praise you, but we have questions. We might go have a makeover with you, get you a new haircut. <laughs> <laughs> you, that, you pay for it. You pay for That picture of her, oh my God, the one in the court with that hair. It's such a bad... It's like a... It's demented Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> it's like it's so like a, bad. It's like... It's like a page boy, but really fucked up. It's so not stylish. No. But it's such a look. Like, she's going for something. She's, you don't get your hair cut that way It's deliberate. It is like, deliberate. And it's just such an awful style on her. I should have done way more digging to see if I could possibly find these lingerie photos of her, but... Sadly, I couldn't, but there are other great photos of okay. her that we will post on Instagram. You just know they're the worst boudoir photos ever. With like the like most 80s teddies, like satin yeah, teddies. Yeah, they all just look really cheap. Yeah, because like lingerie in the 80s all looked, <laughs> they all looked itchy. It's just itchy lace. Everything was that itchy lace in the and 80s. And satin with like a, and they all kind of look like the tuxedo stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know, know exactly I what know lingerie exactly. that is. Yeah, I do too. But every, no matter how wealthy you were, all the lingerie in the 80s it's looked like, the same. It's like can-can girls. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Dude. awful. And it's always red and black. Always red and black or white. There oh, was yeah, like the, the bridal. The bridal the bri- stuff that's like the cheapest white satin. It's like <laughs> white lace. It's bride whore. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, I oh. love it. I would love to see it. Now I just want to see like 80s lingerie ads. I think I just want to do a collage of 80s lingerie ads. It's, it's amazing. It's such a good aesthetic. Oh my God. Okay. All cool. Right, guys. So we'll look for Instagram. I want to see those pics and I'll bug Rachel. I'll do no. Up. I will do it. They're so good. There's one of them was my favorite, them. where she's stepping out of a car and she's wearing this like fabulous pink suit. Ooh, I can't wait to show you. <laughs> she's awful, but it, the suit, the, the outfit is. It's a look. Okay, it is a look. Great. Okay. All bye. right. Bye.